Welcome to this week's message from a new church. For more information, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit our website, newchurch.nz. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy this message. Kia ora, church. Hope you guys are having a good morning. Hasn't it been a good morning so far? And... Um, as Mitch has already welcomed everyone, um, any newcomer, any visitor here, uh, anyone watching online, just want to give the warmest, even if you've been here for 50 years, want to give you the warmest welcome. Um, church is incredible as we come together as, as followers of Jesus, the body of Christ, and we get to worship him and adore him and, and hear from the word and unpack it and apply it to our lives. I just love, love church, and I hope all you guys do as well. So... Um, Without any further ado, just want to get into the message this morning, and it's a wrap-up of the last three messages I've been giving all about the slide, which really is just a, a reminder of how easy it is to, to grow cold with the Lord, and for whatever reason, how our, um, you know, we get off course, or our, our heart becomes hardened, and um, the Bible warns about the dangers of backsliding. It's sort of like an archaic word now, but the first um, message was all about the biblical word of backsliding, what that means, and, and the warning against that, and how easy it is to lose our focus, and a real encouragement to, to get close with Jesus. Um, and then sort of segued into this, um, it's, called, it's a modern-day Christian phenomenon, really, called deconstruction which is growing exponentially in popularity, especially with the younger generations, especially with millennials, especially with people that have been brought up in church um, and a great Christian family going to an amazing Bible-believing church, but for whatever reason, uh, they just start to dismantle and pull apart their faith to the extent where after a while um, of doing this and gathering with people that are doing the same, there is really no real faith left um, in Jesus at all. They've dismantled it or deconstructed it to a point where there is no way that can actually be reformed again. Um, and because this is in vogue and it's the trendy thing to do and you get street cred if you do it and you have a podcast and you talk about how you know the, the traditional values are no longer applicable to the Christian life today, it's actually becoming a big, a big issue and we need to talk about it and we need to know what, um, what to do really and, and how to how to have conversations around this, because I can guarantee most of us in this room or listening to this, we will have family members, sons and daughters, or siblings, or people that we know, and 10 years ago, we would have never, ever have thought that they would be on a trajectory of pretty much not even calling themselves a Christian anymore, but it's happening so much, and it's absolutely heartbreaking. Um, so what do we do about it? What is it? Um, how can we safeguard ourselves against this, and what to do in, in this culture and climate that we live in? So part one was last week. And I'm just going to be carrying on some of the thoughts um, that I began last week. So please, if this is your first time here, go online, um, have a look at the podcast, just search um, Renew Church NZ on YouTube, you'll find us, listen to that one first, because I'm not really going to go into the origin of the word, um, only to say, I don't think it's a good word at all. The, the origin of the word deconstruction is very, very anti-Christian, but a lot of Christians are using it to say, oh, well, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm rebuilding my faith and I'm deconstructing things. It's like we actually don't even need to use that word at all. The better word is reforming, um, which is a Christian word, and reviving our heart with the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's all last week. Um, and then I looked into why are people deconstructing? And again, I'm not going to take much time but by way of recap, I covered a couple of things last week. First of all was church hurt. Um, I believe many people deconstruct and, and deconvert 
because of church hurt. Now, church hurt is real. There are toxic leaders. There are toxic churches. There are toxic environments, and it's not good, and it shouldn't be like that. But where you've got broken people and hurt people, um, hurt people hurt people. So church hurt is real, but deconstruction is the false remedy. Um, The gospel's remedy is lament, which is something we don't enjoy doing, but it's like David did when he was having challenges with um, a narcissist leader that he was following, Saul. He went to the Lord, and he poured out his heart to the Lord, and there needs to be checks and balances, and there needs to be accountability, but we need to go to the Lord. Secondly, was disappointed in God, how, you know, maybe we thought we'd be married by now, and we're in our 40s, or maybe, you know, we've been trying for kids for years, or maybe we thought that our life would turn out different, or maybe we thought that our parents would stay together, or like all of these things that we have prayed, maybe we thought that there'd be a healing, but there was a death, all of these things that we believed God for and we trusted God for, but for whatever reason, our life just hasn't worked out that way and we end up carrying and living with this huge disappointment and bitterness in our lives that becomes part of our identity. Um, Again, deconstruction is a false remedy. Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not depend on your own understanding. We just don't know why God allows some things to happen. We don't know why our, our, our life doesn't work out the way we think it's going to work out. We just don't know that, but we can always trust in the Lord. Uh, We were never promised a happy life anyway, but we were promised a life full of purpose and identity in the Lord. Um, But we can trust his character and say, God, I don't know what is going on. I don't know why my life has worked out this way, but I'm choosing to trust in you, and I'm not going to depend on my own understanding. One of the huge things with the deconstruction movement now is people are getting together, and they're just talking and talking and debating and philosophizing for for a long time with their own wisdom. But the Bible says don't trust in your own wisdom. Um, Trust in the Lord. So that was last week. Again, please go and listen to that podcast. I think there are a couple of other reasons why people deconstruct. Thirdly, bad Bible teaching and poor Bible knowledge. Bad Bible teaching and poor Bible knowledge. How we're growing up in churches and perhaps we've got some sort of a faith, but really do we understand what the Bible says um, about certain topics that we are faced with? Every day, for example, sin and sacrifice and salvation, the work of the cross. Do we really understand the power of the cross and the great exchange that happened when Jesus gave his life for us? Do we really know what the Bible talks about sexuality uh, and why the Bible um, gives prohibitions around certain areas in sexuality? Do we understand eternal life and heaven and how do we really know about end times? Like I just... A lot of us, unfortunately, we just have really no clue about really what the Bible says, and we can't explain it. And then what happens is our kids go to university and then bombarded with so many other different, very compelling worldviews. And because our, our faith and our Bible knowledge is so shallow, we fall apart and our, and our faith breaks down. For example, a couple of years ago, like everyone was saying, a lot of people were saying that the vaccination was the mark of the beast. It's like, come on. It's like, I mean, really, come on. It's like, I'm not going to go into it much further, but a lot of people believe that. It's like, you have no idea about what the Bible actually teaches. Um, So you need to get together uh, and become part of a church that does do great Bible teaching, great Bible knowledge. But again, what people are doing is they think the remedy is, I'm just going to deconstruct my faith because it doesn't make sense. It's not the good remedy. The Gospel remedy for bad Bible teaching and poor Bible knowledge is good Bible teaching and good Bible knowledge. 
getting around a community of believers that actually loves the Word of God, can teach the Word of God with accuracy and with balance with the Holy Spirit's power um, in there. So, but the thing is, if you don't deep dive into some of these topics, like if we don't actually look at some of these topics, you just listen to some podcast or watch some YouTube clip for 20 minutes, and the arguments are very compelling. And if you're not careful, it does really sound like Christianity and the church and the Bible is the villain, that we are the bad people for believing some things that the Bible says. For example, and I've been really praying that I do this justice, let's just have a look at one of these hot topics, slavery. What you will hear on many deconstructionist sites is this, that the European Christians were the original slave traders and the Bible has always endorsed slavery, so therefore Christians are the evil people, they are the oppressors, the Bible is wrong, the Bible is obsolete, we can't trust in the Bible, Christianity is wicked, it needs to be dismantled um, and there needs to be something else. So that's what we hear, and again, it's very compelling, but it simply is not the truth. What is the truth? Modern-day slavery, the slave trade, was not invented by Europeans. It was invented by Africans who sold slaves to Arabs. That was where slavery came from, but let's have a look at the Old Testament and the New Testament. God did allow some things to happen in the Old Testament, but it was never his perfect will. For example, multiple wives, divorce, I believe slavery. There are a whole gambit of things that God allowed to happen, but it was because of the wickedness of people's hearts. But we need to have a look at the culture of the time. Um, those nations in the Old Testament were that they, they conquested and, and they overthrew other nations. So if you were a part of the, the army that was losing or lost a battle, there were two things that were going to happen to you. You would either be slaughtered on the battlefield or you'd become a slave. So I don't know about you, but I'd rather become a slave to the victorious nation than to be slaughtered. That was the way it was. But because of the Mosaic law and because of what God said about how to treat people, it was a part and a factual of the day that everyone wanted to be captured by the Israelites and everyone wanted to be slaves of the Israelites instead of other nations because they treated their slaves so well. And going into the Mosaic law, after seven years, the Mosaic law said, set the slaves free and send them off with riches. But what we don't understand as well because of the culture that we live in is many people didn't want to give up um, being looked after by um, the families that they were serving because that gave them um, security, it gave them social standing. So many of them chose to serve that family for life. Again, we dare not interpret what the Bible, how the Bible works through our culture because we just can't see it. That was the Old Testament. The New Testament, people will say, well, Paul never addressed slavery. He said that slavery was good. He endorsed slavery. In 1 Timothy 1.10, Paul flat out condemns slavery and the slave trade, and he calls it evil. Um, that's in 1 Timothy 1.10. Write that down. Um, slaves could gain or should gain their freedom if they could. 1 Corinthians 7.21. Masters ought to view their slaves as brothers. If you look at that word, and I've gone over this before, it is blood brothers, you need to look at your slaves, if you had any, as a blood brother. There is no way in the New Testament Christianity that slavery was ever going to survive because of what the Bible teaches. You just cannot keep a slave and say, well, you're my blood brother. It was not going to work. And then we see in Philemon, um, Paul builds upon that and he says, you've got to set slaves free. There is no way slavery was going to survive um, or be endorsed in New Testament Christianity. Then we go into the New Testament, uh, sorry, the, the modern era. The abol abolition of slavery was a Christian movement. 
that was abolished because of Christians, because they understood and they had deep dived into what the Bible says. So that's just one example, but you listen to a podcast, it's like, oh, flip, Christianity is a villain and I need to dismantle my faith. We, we dare not do that. It's interesting, um, and there's a lot of study on this uh, from secular sources, that when Christian values are taken out of a society, they predict that slavery will return. And what are we seeing in the West with the, the rampant and, and heartbreaking and exponential growth in sex trafficking? That slavery, why? Because Christianity is being dismantled. In, in the Western world. So I want to give some, some books to recommend as we finish up this, this series. And this is an incredible book, Confronting Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin. It's like the 12 hardest questions that Christians are asked, like slavery and subjugation of women and sexuality and transgender issues, all of these ones that we think, oh, I really don't have an answer. That is an incredible incredible book to read, backed up with a lot of statistics. I love this book. So um, you can get it on Kindle or just find it an, an incredible book. Another example of this um, is the doctrine of hell. The idea of hell is a topic that deconstructionists love to hate, and they debate it that it is an obsolete belief. And before I go any further, I just want to say that every generation of believers, or every generation in general, will struggle with some aspects of the Bible because our culture changes so much. See, we have a big problem in our culture with the idea of punishment and hell because we, well, I haven't really experienced a lot of evil from people, but then you go back 70, 80 years to the World War II era where six million Jews were slaughtered at the hands of an evil man. Um, there was true atrocities and true evil people. They never had a problem a generation or two ago with the belief in hell because they understood that wicked people needed to be punished. They did have a struggle, in my opinion, with understanding that, well, I know if Hitler repented before he died, then he would be saved. Like they just, the grace and forgiveness and mercy, they struggled with that because there was so much evil in the world. Now we, we understand well, grace and forgiveness, we're great with that, but we, we really struggle with the idea of hell and eternal punishment because of the culture that we live in. We dare not interpret the Bible through the eyes and the filter of our own imagination, our own experiences, and our own culture. We need to, to see the Bible and look at the Bible and let the Bible judge itself um, and have that incredible um, living and active sword that never changes. Uh, so that's incredible. But again, going back to hell, this has become a hugely popular thing that when Jesus talked about hell, he was talked about Gehenna, and Gehenna was always referred to the dump outside the city walls. I think it was in the Valley of Himnon or something like that. Um, and that's where they burnt the ref refuse and, and, and dead bodies day and night. The fire never went out. So um, whenever Jesus was talking about hell as an eternal punishment, he was not talking about eternal hell in the afterlife. He was talking about the city dump because hell is what you make it on earth uh, because of bad people and bad decisions. That's what a lot of people are talking Where did that thought come from? It's actually in a lot of commentaries and a lot of study Bibles that Gehenna was the, the rubbish dump. It was made up by one person 1,200 years ago with no theological training, um, no archaeological uh, evidence to back it up, no literal evidence or literary evidence to back it up. It was just one person's opinion. 
And then a few hundred years later, we come along and because we don't like the idea and the doctrine of hell, we think, well, that makes sense because I always knew Jesus was love and he would never send people to hell. And I'm going to grab a hold of that and I'm going to make a life belief and statement and theology about that where it's not even true. We need to dig a little bit deeper. So recommended reading, and this is an incredible book to read, Erasing Hell by Francis Chan and Preston Sprinkle. Don't you love that name? Mr. Sprinkle. Um, and I, this was a challenging book to read, but Francis's heart, man, you can tell that he's weeping as he's writing it. Um, I think that is a book that every single one of us need to read. It's very, very short um, and very, very good, Erasing Hell by Francis Chan. And again, like I said before, I dare not interpret the Bible through my own lens or the lens of my culture, but we all do this. Like I've done it recently. You know the story of Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament, how um, there was a revival happening and Ananias and Sapphira, they were husband and wife. They sold some land. They wanted to give some money to the church, but they lied about the amount of money. They wanted to keep some money for themselves. So they're talking to Peter and Peter says, well, you're going to die because you haven't lied to man. You've lied to the Holy Spirit. And then one of them dies. And then a little bit later, the other one dies. And I have debated with people in the past, saying, well, that's not the heart of God. God wouldn't kill anyone for that. I mean, they just lied. Come on, where's the, where's, where's the forgiveness and the mercy of God? That must have happened because Peter spoke a curse over them, or they were just so freaked out that they had a heart attack or something. That couldn't be the heart of God. See, what I have done is I've, I've put in an idea of the Lord or, or Jesus that I had because I just couldn't accept, perhaps, that you know Jesus would put some people to death. And I've made, perhaps, or did make God in that context in my own image of the way I wanted God to be like. The, the text actually doesn't say that. We don't know why or how that happened, but I dare not interject or put in my thoughts and make that gospel when it may not be. And if it can happen to me, it can happen to anyone. So we just, like I said, the first or the the second message, we actually don't have the choice which parts of the gospel we want to change or not. As we come to Jesus, we come to him and we take on his yoke and we take on his teachings upon ourselves. So the remedy for bad Bible teaching, poor Bible knowledge, good Bible teaching, good Bible knowledge. And I think lastly, there are many reasons why people backslide and deconstruct. This may not be, I mean, it's not all... None of it's popular, but number four, let's just say it like it is. People want an excuse to sin. Why do people dismantle their faith? Because they want an excuse to sin. They sort of still want a faith in God, and they still want to believe somehow that they're going to go to heaven when they die, but they just really are drawn to a behavior or or a way of life that the Bible actually says is sin, but they just want to do it anyway. I love this quote. Deconstruction is poison not medicine. It supplements the sin that's killing you rather than healing it. Deconstruction or removing it. Deconstruction is poison, not medicine. It supplements the sin that's killing you rather than removing it. There's a an awesome guy, he's passed away in recent years called Cy Rogers. He struggled with same-sex attraction most of his life. But he had a desire to come to God and he had the conviction of sin in his life. Um, so, so what did he do? And, and I had the privilege of hearing him a number of times live, and his testimony was this. He would understand he had a compulsion to do something that the Bible said was wrong. But he said, God, I really want to do this. I really want to have this, but I want to have you more. I want to love you more. 
I want to serve you more. So therefore, I'm going to deny myself and deny my feelings, and I'm going to follow you with my heart. And that is incredible, but we don't really hear about that these days. Just having an excuse to sin and to follow our own sinful nature, which is always going to bring death. The wages of sin is death, no matter how well packaged it is, no matter how attractive it is. And all of us that stumble at times, we know that there is nothing good in sin. The remedy is not deconstructing our faith. The remedy is good old-fashioned self-denial. What does the Bible say? Take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow Jesus. And good old-fashioned conviction and confession and repentance. It's never changed. So last, uh, last week, Someone was asking at the end of the service, well, how do we really safeguard ourselves against deconstruction if it can happen to some good people? And it does. How do we safeguard ourselves? And I just got a few point, pointers and then we'll wrap this up. First of all, a return and a love for good theology. A return and a love for good theology. Theology is the, you know, the study of the character of God, getting into the word of God. And I, when I talk about good theology, I absolutely mean good, balanced theology that is, can be trusted and has been researched, but spoken and taught by people that are filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit um, is really, really important as well. So as a church, looking at the, the origins of our church, which started off Christian Renewal Fellowship back in 1977, looking at redigging some of those wells, what is the original vision of this church to be a great church, to be a Christian school, to be a Bible college, and to be a, a mission-sending-out center? Um, and, you know, there have been times, me and Christy, back in the 90s, we were so blessed by the incredible Bible college, and many of you have probably gone through that as well. But I really do believe that needs to be resurrected. That's a call upon our church. And, and we tried to dabble in it around the COVID area, but um, Christy and uh, Mitch and myself were actually really serious about forming something for next year, so watch this space, um, getting back to a love for good Bible study, good Bible teaching. Like, we love the spectacular. We love the guest speakers that are, like, uh, uh, are great and are articulate, and we're just like mountaintop experience, like, I believe I can fly. Like, we love all those times. But like, most of our life is actually trudging through the valley between the mountains. And like, we need a trusty machete and cutting through the jungle and the swamp and just trying to find our way and survive in life. The Word of God, living and active. Um, and getting back to that spirit-filled Bible teaching, I think it's really, really needed. And we need the, we need the spectacular and we need the encounters with God, absolutely. But I think just getting back to just being able to explain what the Bible says and why we have a good Christian worldview and why that matters in life is important. Um, but getting back to deconstructionists, they have a belief system. Their theology has been given to them by someone. Like they're trusting in a new Theology. So we just have got to be careful who is feeding our theology. Is it a great church? Is it great people that have stood the test of time and have gone before us, the older generations that can speak into our lives? Or is it some other young person that we just enjoy having a coffee with that's got some ideas based on other podcasts that that person's listened to? So um, one area that we'd love to, to see grown is Renew College. Also, if you want to do some... Um, study by yourself. I cannot recommend this organization more, Theos U, um, or Theos U. Uh, for the amount of Netflix every month, you've got incredible 
and, 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 they, and they market themselves as non-woke Bible teaching. I love that. Um, so that is incredible. Theos you, and you'll be hearing more about that because we just sort of want to partner somehow in the future. So a return in love for good theology. Number two, honor and glean from the older generations, the salty dogs um, of our church communities, honor and glean. There is an undermining of the previous generations. Um, I believe, and I'm not happy with it, maybe because I'm getting older, but you see this through everywhere. You see it in pop culture. This is like the older generations don't matter anymore. They're all burnt out and they're all cynical and they should just retire and they don't have anything to contribute. Case in point, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Like, I have grown up, man. Indiana Jones was my hero, was my role model. He's amazing. Um, Jaysha and I went to the New Zealand premiere of the Indiana Jones movie because I was so pumped with it. So the first half of the movie, Indiana Jones is burnt out. He hates people. He's grumpy. He's just like, just, what, what, who's this? Is, this is Indiana Jones. In the second half, he's being rescued by like a feminist um, who's just got a real shaky world belief system. Um, and it's like, this isn't how my hero's supposed to go out. It's like, this is Indiana Jones. But you see it happening right throughout pop culture. They're reviving these franchises, and all the heroes that I grew up with, they're like all burnt out, and they're old, and they just don't custom, cut the mustard anymore. Um, but you see this everywhere. And I heard a, a, a podcast recently, and man, it really peeved me off. They were saying, you know, the older generations, the boomers and Gen Xs, they don't really understand us millennials anymore, and they don't really know how the world has changed, and, and we feel sorry for them because they can't fit in anymore, but this is our time, and, you know, we're the ones that are leading the world and um, entrepreneurial things now, but it's like, shut up. It's like, you don't have any idea what you're talking about. Sorry, that just sort of came out. Yeah. What does the Bible say? Joshua 14.10. This is Caleb. And I'm going to be talking about Caleb on Father's Day. And now, behold, I am 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. Now give me this hill country. I'm not talking about burnt out, cynical, depressed older people. I'm talking about older people that have the joy of the Spirit, the strength of the Lord, the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And for any person that's struggling with being tempted to deconstruct, I, I urge you, go find an older person that has been walking with God 60 years and invite them out for coffee and let them tell you their story. Honor and glean from the older generations. Number three, be aware of the devil's schemes. In 2 Corinthians 2.11, it says, we cannot, we must not be unaware of the devil's schemes. And the devil is very much at work trying to dismantle our faith. And, and, he's, and he's done this his, the whole entire world history. What he does is he causes us to have a doubt in God's word, and he tries to uh, put a wedge in our relationship with the Lord. So right back at the beginning, Genesis 3, Adam and Eve are in the garden, and Satan says this, well, the devil says this, did God really say? Those four words. Did God really say? What is the power behind that? First of all, well, God didn't really say that, or he didn't really mean that, or the word of God doesn't really actually mean that, and bringing a wedge between us and God. Satan wants us to doubt God's word and distance ourselves from him and his people. And this is the way of most deconstruction today. They dismantle God's word. They say, we cannot believe in it anymore. We cannot believe in the Genesis account. We cannot believe in heaven and hell. We cannot believe in what the Bible teaches because it's archaic. Um, and it always drives a wedge. I, I don't know any 
person that has truly deconstructed their faith, who has got more on fire for Jesus, following Jesus with all their heart, it always goes the other way. But Jesus actually said something a little bit similar to what the devil said. The devil said, did God really say? But Jesus says something different, and this is right throughout the Gospels. He said this, you have heard it said, but I say. It's not, did God really say who brings, it brings doubt um, and brings a wedge in, but Jesus said right throughout the, um, the Sermon on the Mount. For example, Matthew 5, 43 to 44, you have heard the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. What was Jesus doing? How was Jesus teaching? Te- Jesus was teaching us to really have a look at what the word of God says and have this amazing trust and faith in the word of God that it is true. It's living and active. It is truth. We can live by the word of God. And then Jesus instructed us how to apply the word of God to our lives and not just that it would change our life, but it would change other people's lives as the word of God was living and active through our life to other people. Satan said, did God really say? Pulls apart uh, the word of God, causes us to doubt, causes a wedge between our relationship. Jesus always um, cements the word of God, um, backs up the word of God and allows that to to move and flow through our lives. And I love that. So be aware of the devil's schemes. If we're justifying something, if we're going down that line, did God really say? Does the Bible really mean this? Then I think we're on a slippery slope. And lastly, then we'll wrap up. Return to a healthy fear of the Lord. So how to safeguard against deconstruction, return in love for good theology, glean in honor from old generations, be aware of the devil's schemes, and return to having a healthy fear of the Lord. Proverbs 9 verse 10 says, the fear of of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A lot of people are quick to share their own wisdom, but the Bible actually is very specific. What is the beginning of wisdom? Fearing the Lord. Now, I grew up in a great Christian home, but there was a time in my life where I needed to have a decision, make a decision for God, and the conviction of sin came in my life, and I knew that the wages of sin was death, and if I died with sin in my life without confessing and repenting of that, then hell was my destination. So there was a healthy fear of the Lord that came into my life, and that propelled me onto the straight and narrow and kept me on the straight and narrow. But I've heard people say in recent years that having a healthy fear of the Lord is not a good foundation for our faith in Jesus, that it needs to be a love um, that it shouldn't be fear, but it has to be love. And I've always struggled with that because um, I had a lot of love in my life and I understood the love of the Lord, but it was the fear of the Lord and that it wasn't man that throw, could throw people into hell. It was the Lord that could throw people into hell. And that was a motivating factor for me to give my life to God. I was listening to another salty dog online recently called Alice Cooper, who's a Christian, and I don't know how that works out. Um, Christian can wear makeup at like 75 years old, and, but, but he is, and, and he's a pretty, pretty radical guy. But his, his testimony is so powerful. He said that the conviction of sin came into his life, and he knew that he was going to hell unless he gave his life to Jesus and repented of his sin. And he said that's how he began his Christian life. And then very soon after, he was introduced to the love of God. So it's not just the fear of the Lord. It is the love of God as well. It has to be both. But I think in our generation and our culture, we have lost the fear of the Lord. We think of Jesus and we think of him as this like swoony, Swedish, handsome, European type guy looking a little bit like Jill, maybe in our church. Um, 
that, you know, Jesus is just lovey-dovey and he really is my boyfriend and he loves cats and he's a vegan and he wears Birkenstocks and he's just always there for me. And he's just like, oh, Jesus is my boyfriend and I just love him. And, you know, and he listens to Bethel music and it's just like all emotional and he just loves that. Yeah, Jesus is the Lamb of God. And a lamb is like soft and cute and loving. But he is also the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's a lion. And as C.S. Lewis said in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, he is not a tame lion. Jesus can be ferocious. Remember that story where he was so upset with the, um, the, the criminal activity in the temple that he actually made a whip? And he single-handedly drove out a whole lot of angry guys from the temple. That's the ferociousness of Jesus. We don't really think about that. We think of Jesus as cute and cuddly. He is a lion and he is the lamb. Speaking about C.S. Lewis, like I think we, we need to read stuff more than 50 years old. We need to read good Christian material and good Christian books that are just not today. Um, and the, the, by far the most important and influential book in the last hundred years in Christian belief and theology, by far, is Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Um, that is an incredible book. I'm reading it at the moment. I thought, man, I've been in ministry for how long? I've read other C.S. Lewis books. But that one book, if you're struggling with um, what the Bible teaches about belief and about values, read that book. It is small. I think it's like only a couple of dollars on Kindle. Um, an incredible book. Uh, return to a healthy fear of the Lord. Okay, let's come down to land now with this whole series. Is deconstruction the great falling away? And uh, depending on your end time theology, like we know that it says even the elect will be deceived if possible. We know that there's going to be a great falling away. We know that the love of many will grow cold in the end days. I believe that the last days started the book of Acts, that um, we're in the era in the era of the last days. But I think this is important to have a look at because um, when you look at deconstruction and how good people are falling away, it actually does make sense. Let's have a look at Matthew 24, verse 9 to 14. Then you'll be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You'll be hated all over the world because you are my followers. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it, and then the end will come. So we can just look at that. I mean, that's happening right now. Like every part of that verse is happening right now. Verse 13, it says, the one who endures to the end will will be saved. What is that word? I think it's very important as we wrap up this series. Endure in the Greek is hupomino, and it means this, to remain when others have departed, to suffer patiently, to continue firmly, and to remain constantly. Those who endure to the end will be saved. To remain when others have departed, to suffer patiently, to continue firmly, and to remain constantly. Like, sometimes we, we hassle the idea of traditions, but I think, like, when you look at the word tradition, it's very important. It means the passing on of important things to, to the next generation. Uh, I think we even sing a song about, like, deal to our traditions, and I understand that 
the reason behind that. But as a church, if I, as a 49-year-old, am not passing on Christian values and balanced Bible teaching and Holy Spirit-inspired faith and life to people, to the next generation, to a part where I actually pass that on and they grab a hold of it, then they run with it, then I have failed in my job. And I think that's not just a, a challenge for me as a pastor, it's a challenge for all of our generations. To, to remain when others have departed, to suffer patiently, continue firmly, to remain constantly. Can I have a, a keyboardist up? And we won't have the band, we're, we're sort of out of time. I just want to finish with how I finished last week. John 5, 24. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. Those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have, for they have already passed from death to life. Matthew eleven twenty eight to 29. Then Jesus said, come to me. All of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, take my belief upon you. Not the ones that you just like, my belief, my teaching upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. It's like we either obey that or we don't. We either agree with it or we don't. There's really no gray area in that statement of Jesus. If you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way, your own way of life, the own, your own way of trying to work out things, your own way of trying to manipulate the Word of God to say something that it may not say or may say. You must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. Following Jesus, believing in Jesus, being a Christian in 2023, what does it mean? Believe in Jesus, who He is and what He did. Come to Jesus, present yourself to Him and surrender. Trust in Jesus and His words, however difficult and troubling they are, and follow Jesus. Not my will, Jesus, but yours be done. And because we're living in, a, in an intellectual era and we're trying to work things out, I think we've lost a little bit of the aspect of the step of faith in the Christian life where it's always been a step of faith. Nicodemus, I mean, he had a lot of Bible knowledge, comes to Jesus at night, and he says, like, what do I do? Like, I, I don't understand this, and, and what's this about being born again? And then he says, I can't go back into my mother's womb. Like, that's weird. Um, and Jesus explains to him about it's a spiritual process, and it's a step of faith. It is always going to be a step of faith. We're never going to have everything worked out. There comes to a point in our life where we are, confronted with the truth of the Bible and in the mess of our lives and we have to make a decision and we have to make a choice and that is a faith step. It's never too big that it's impossible but it is going to be a faith step. It is going to be a stepping out of the boat of our own comfort and our own security and saying, Jesus, I'm, I'm, I'm freaking out here but I'm giving my life to you. I'm surrendering my life to you. I want to be born again. I want to have the sin washed away in my life. I struggle with some of the aspects of what the Bible teaches, but I trust you and I want to follow you. Please help me. And then we give our life to Jesus. It's called being born again. Let's please be upstanding. Let's close our eyes. And I want to pray a prayer of endurance over anyone that's keen this morning to live as strong believers when we're living in shaky times with our eyes closed. If you want to be included in a prayer of endurance, 
I'd love to pray based on that verse that I was sharing. And we just want to raise both hands quickly to the Lord. It would be great. Father, I want to thank you that, Lord, we're not, it's not an accident that we are living in 2023. It's not an accident that we are here for this time. Lord, we've been chosen for a time such as this for your plans and your purposes. But man, we all agree it's, it's getting hard and it's getting tricky. Lord, I pray and declare and prophesy endurance over this church community in Jesus' name right now. Every heart that's listening or watching to this, every heart that is in this world that understands the struggle but wants to be a person of endurance, I pray and declare endurance over them by the power of the Holy Spirit that we will remain faithful when others have departed, that we will suffer patiently, that we will continue firmly, and we will remain constantly in Jesus' name. Lord, I am aware that so many of us, our hearts are breaking for people that um, seem to be on this trajectory of dismantling their faith. Lord, things are impossible with man, but all things are possible with you. And I pray that the prodigals would come home in Jesus' name that there would be a revival of a reformation, of a reforming of faith and a reforming of the Word of God, the way that you always intended, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would come and revive dead hearts in Jesus' name. I rebuke the works of darkness, especially that lie that says, did God really say that would see, uh, sow seeds of doubt and despair and bring a wedge? I rebuke the enemy over families in this church that are struggling with this and even people maybe that are here that are struggling with this. I rebuke the lies of the, uh, of the dark one in Jesus' name right now. And I pray that truth and hope and life would invade our lives that we would have a fresh revelation that you are the lamb, but you are also the lion. You are loving, but you are also ferocious, God. You are not a tame lion. And we surrender our life to you. And we can trust you with all of our lives. Make the body of Christ in this time, in this era, strong and unshakable in Jesus' name. Amen. Everyone shout it, Amen. so much for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. To contact us or to find out what's happening at our church, please check out our website, renewchurch.nz.